Let us pray. Holiest of holy, present here, wherever we are, gathered in the name and the spirit of the Rabbi Jesus, I pray now that these words that are of my mouth be of your spirit, and the meditations that are in all our hearts be centered on you. Amen. Nora Ephron, in her book, I Feel Bad About My Neck, made a list of things she wished she had known earlier in life. They were, in a sense, her rules for living. My favorites on the list, which is much longer, include one, don't buy anything that is 100% wool, even if it seems to be very soft and not particularly itchy when you try it on in the store. Two, you can't be friends with people who call after 11 p.m. Three, don't cover a couch with anything that isn't more or less beige. Four, the world's greatest babysitter burns out after two and a half years. Five, never marry a man you wouldn't want to be divorced from. Six, anything you think is wrong with your body at the age of 35, you will be nostalgic for at the age of 45. Seven, the empty nest is underrated. Eight, you can order more than one dessert. Nine, if the shoe doesn't fit in the store, it's never going to fit. 10, when your children are teenagers, it's important to have a dog so that someone in the house is happy to see you. 11, whenever someone says the words, our friendship is more important than this, watch out because it almost never is. 12, there's no point in making pie crust from scratch. 13, the reason you're waking up in the middle of the night is that second glass of wine. 14, if only one third of your clothes are mistakes, you are ahead of the game. 15, there are no secrets. Chuck Henderson of the blog Wall Street Insanity has his own list of rules that stereotypically masculine men must live by. They include owning at least one suit, paying attention to current events, not taking credit for work you didn't do. Unless you're in a tux, don't wear a bow tie. We all know you're just trying to stand out. Don't argue with anyone in email or text. When dealing with the written word, at least attempt to play it cool. Repay your debts, no matter how old or how small. Don't beat around the bush, say what you mean. Saying it's just business doesn't excuse anything, and you know it. Yes, if your buddy is moving, you have to help. Of course, his list also includes gems like if your friend dies, delete his internet search history first, mourn later. So, you know, take it with an entire glass of salt. Temple Grandin has rules about rules to help us understand how rules affect those whose understanding is more black and white. Now, there are roughly 613 commandments in the Torah, or the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. The first 10 are pretty easy, although only 14% of Americans can name all 10 commandments. Then there are laws about how to be in relation with one another, not to bear a grudge, not to stand idly by when another is in danger, and to rebuke the sinner. There are laws about social justice. 
including that you should not harvest your whole field to leave sheaves and imperfect clusters of grapes so the poor have something to eat. Love the stranger. Proclaim each new month holy. Do not borrow or loan with interest. There are at least 20 commandments outlining various sexual acts that are not permitted, and most of them concern family members. So, you know, that's interesting. We make ourselves a lot of rules as humans, whether we know we are doing it or not. And we do so because it feels good to make rules. It feels like rules can save us from ourselves. They keep us safely in the black and the white, away from the perilous gray area where all the rules seem to give way. We crave rules because they give us the illusion of control. If only they had done exactly what the cops asked. If only they hadn't smashed that window in anger. If only they'd worked harder to get a job with benefits. If only they had worn a mask. If only, if only, if only. Because if there is a rule we can find that has been broken, then we can escape the same fate or responsibility. And yet right now, it is not difficult to see that we are living in a time when all the rules are being stripped away. We see the young black men and women who followed the rules and still were gunned down. We see politicians and parties lie without consequence. We see over and over that those who are sworn to protect themselves inflict violence. Even the rules of daily life, get up, get dressed, go to work, go to school, those have fallen away. What if a five-day, eight-to-five work week isn't the natural order of things? The personal regimentation of our lives has fallen away at precisely the same time that the rules of civic society are being challenged. And while the rules are necessary for society, don't get me wrong, the danger comes as it is coming and has come when we mistake the construct of rules for the reality. When we start to revere the rules and the regimens instead of the people they are designed to serve. This is profoundly destabilizing. She says, aware that this is an understatement. The night is far gone, Paul says. And yet the day is near. All the rules of living have seemed to fall away over these past six months, week by week. Rules of truth, rules of order. And we are somewhere in between now. In the hazy gray. In the almost morning. But whether we know it or not, we are all familiar with this hazy gray area. The gray area is where we live when we have a secret and we don't know whether we should say something, whether we should tell them, what is the loving thing to do. The gray area is where we live when we want something else, something more. But we know that our lives have brought us here for a reason. What is the loving thing to do? The gray area is that ache that we feel when we know they didn't mean to, but their words broke our heart. What is the loving thing to do for them or for ourselves? The gray area is that limbo between knowing you've been hurt or that you hurt them, but wanting to move on. And if anyone tells you that the gray area isn't dangerous, be wary. 
because the gray area is the haze between wound and scar, loss and living, loving and enabling, justice and mercy, pain and forgiveness. Philosophers have devoted their entire lives to the gray area. We must tread carefully into it. Linger too long and we risk being stuck forever. Move past it too quickly and you might find you never passed through at all. Now, in just a few weeks, starting in late September, we will be starting a sermon series designed to help us navigate the in-between areas of our civic life. How do we construct new ways forward, moving from faith? How do we find community in a world of blue and red? But for right now, we are being challenged to stay here in the fog, trusting that weeping endures for the night, but that joy comes in the morning, and that this haze, this unsettledness, that's a sign that the morning approaches. So this long weekend, let it be okay to rest here. Drink it in. Embrace the uncertainty, knowing that it is an essential step in any journey of progress. As the life coach Tony Robbins puts it, we need both certainty and uncertainty in different seasons of our lives. Uncertainty is actually what allows us to access new emotions, thoughts, and feelings. Uncertainty is the liberating force we need to imagine new ways forward. And it is in this space of uncertainty that the gospel, or the good news, took place. It is the place where most major religions find their core. Now, a while back, I was having dinner with some clergy colleagues, and we ended up discussing the scripture that is assigned for this week. So now you know we really are an exciting group of people, clergy. But one colleague told me this story that you may have already heard. It's contained in the Talmud or the rabbinic writings about the Torah. There were two very famous rabbis in the first century BCE, Rabbi Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. Shammai was more of a stickler for the rules. Hillel was more of a stickler for not being a stickler. From both of them, we have arrived at much of what is modern day Judaism. Now, one young man came to Rabbi Shammai wanting to convert. Not uncommon. He had too many experiences with long-winded religious types, however, and so he said he would do it only if the rabbi could teach him the whole of the Torah while he was standing on one foot. Legend has it that Rabbi Shammai chased him out of his home, and some versions even say with a broom. So he went to Rabbi Hillel with the same request. And Hillel looked at him and said, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah. The rest is the explanation of this. Go and study it. Paul says, brothers and sisters, owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love, of course, in this case is not the sentimental feeling, but the concrete acts of understanding oneself to be in relationship with all of creation, all of creation, not simply those parts or pieces or people with whom we agree or even trust. When all the rules get to be too much, when they become absurd, and even when they start to fall away, there is one rule that we can always count on to lead us back. Love shines 
most clearly and most brightly in gray times like these, when all the rules fall away and when it seems like chaos has taken over because love lives precisely in the space between clear-cut right and wrong, yes and no, rules followed and rules broken. It lives there because this in-between hazy morning space is the space of mercy and forgiveness, transcendence, and therefore God. If there has ever been a time in our lives to be remade into the people, individually and collectively, who we want to be, this is it. This is why one popular gospel song, written for this very moment in time, is what a time to be alive. The revolution has begun. This is the time love is most potent right now in this season of our lives. In order to follow it, however, we must make it our central priority. As Robbins notes in his work, Certainty in Uncertain Times, there's a part of your brain that's called the RAS, the Reticular Activating System, and it determines what you notice in the world. Now, when you decide on something and you have strong enough reasons to follow it, you trigger the RAS. Your brain then becomes incredibly acute noticing anything that comes into your world that could help you move forward, and the uncertainty vanishes. This, too, is true in both our personal and communal life. And one of the most helpful ways of achieving it, as Robbins notes in his work, is ritual. That, friends, is the story of the things on this table.